Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig for details. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ridiculous Crime is a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, Zarin. What's up, loco? <laughs> Nada. You know what's ridiculous? I do. Mm. I do, actually. Lay it on me. Yamanashi, Japan. Oh, now come on now. No, no, I wasn't done. <laughs> In the place of Yamanashi, Japan, there is this uh, theme park. It was only open for about four years. Mm -hmm. But in that time, they were able to build this giant Gulliver statue, enormous Mm -hmm. Gulliver statue, you know, from the book Gulliver's Travels by Jonathan Swift. And so when he goes to, like, you know, like the certain lands, there's, like, you know, whatever, Yahoo's and so forth. Mm -hmm. One of the Lilliputians are tiny, and so he's huge, right? Mm. So it's the Lilliputian world. Mm -hmm. So it's this huge Jonathan Swift lying on the ground. And so we are all relative to him, Lilliputians. And this statue renders all human beings into Lilliputians, right? And uh, as I said, it was only open four years. It's now out of business. And it's just been sitting there basically disintegrating. (laughs) So there's this disintegrating. Gulliver statue that can like, play a little fictional trick on you, but you got to go to Japan to see it. But I love that they're just like, I ain't cleaning that up. Just just, just leave it for nature leave to clean. It, let reclaim. The earth reclaim yeah, it. I'm like, oh, whatever. That ain't our history. I don't care. <laughs> leave him to the soil. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. That's ridiculous. Right? That's good. So I'm going to Yamanashi, Japan. <laughs> you know what else is ridiculous? No. Another giant. What? You got giants? I got giants. <laughs> This is Ridiculous Crime, a podcast about absurd and outrageous capers, heists, and cons. It's always 99% murder-free and 100% ridiculous. You're damn right. Zarin. Yes, Elizabeth. Uh, do you like buried treasure? I do. I like buried treasure. I'm a big fan of the booty. Well, we've... <laughs> what? We've Why did you look about, at me like that? We've talked about... That's what pirates called it. I know. Buried treasure. Okay, we've talked about that show, The Detectorist, yes. on here before. Great the show. The metal detecting. Great show. So I recommend good. it to everybody. 
I made a lot of people mad talking about the Gilgamesh Dream tablet that Hobby Lobby got its grubby little hands on. Oh, really? Yeah, it didn't go over well. Okay. But, yeah. Sorry for your email inbox. <laughs> I know. Um, I have more archaeological treasures for you today, though. Uh-huh. Let me start off with, as you always like to say, an appetizer. Ah, uh, yes. And a moose boot. Yes. In 1725. I'm going back, baby. I love that. 1725. There was 18th some... century doesn't get enough clout. No, it really doesn't. We don't cover it enough on this show. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there was a professor named Johann Bartholomeus Adam Beringer. Okay, that's okay. a name. He was poking around, just poke, poke, poking, mm-hmm. looking for fossils. All right, as one does. Near Würzburg, Germany. All right. And Is that anywhere near Neanderthal? Sure. Okay. Right on top of it. <laughs> uh, he was into Oryctics. Okay. Oryctics. Sure. That is the geological side of fossils. Ah. And so he hired some kids. It was like, hey, kids. You want to go labor, dig in the dirt? You guys like dirt. Come dig with me. Yeah. And off they went. I got shoveled. You got time. <laughs> Meanwhile, there were some guys at the university where they all worked who decided they had had an absolute enough of his snooty, arrogant ways. Ah. He was he was a real snooty guy. So only kids would hang out with Nose him in the if air. he paid them. Right. But adults would be like, <laughs> the only forget people him. would be around him. Okay. So these people, his coworkers decided to prank him. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about 18th century pranks. <laughs> okay. That's not how I imagined my life would be when I crossed the stage to accept my college diploma. <laughs> I would be talking about 18th century pranks. Life's full of welcome surprises. Isn't it beautiful, wonderful surprises? Embrace the weirdness, Elizabeth. One of the guys, he carved some figures out of limestone. Okay. Um, they were little animals, mm-hmm. spiders, frogs, lizards, mm-hmm. spiders. <laughs> Just as an aside, when I, I always say spiders like that. Yeah. Why is a, that? A friend of mine um, kept getting these call, these collect calls from the county from jail. Spiders? No, from the county jail. And it would be like, <laughs> you have a collect call from whatever county jail mm-hmm. from, and the guy would always go, spider. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Laura and I laughed about that. Anyway. So, okay. Well, I so I can't ask. see the word spider with a spider. Yeah. So she'd always, no, I do not accept the charges. Was it a wrong call? But they kept Yeah, the calling. guy had the wrong number. Had they ever gotten through? No. Huh. Called all the time. Anyway, spiders, frogs and lizards. Uh, they had There were inscriptions mm-hmm. on these little uh, figures. Little etchings? It was the name of God in Latin, Arabic, and Hebrew. Hmm. Little bit, little bit of each on each one. Okay. Um, so they went around these two, these three dudes. They went and they planted the figures all over where the professor and his boy crew were looking. Mm-hmm. Professor Beringer found them. He's so excited. He's like, "These are awesome, you guys!" And He's they like, all sat down in the dirt and looked at him together. Thank Deus, Hashem, and Allah. First, he thought they were actual fossils uh-huh. um, signed by God. Yeah, it's got his name on them. It's got his them. name on it. I, mean, I just ran them down. When I tell you that these are in no way convincing as fossils, <laughs> they are not realistic representations. They're kind of cartoonish. Yeah. And it's like, oh, and it's got God's name on it. God's like, here, yeah. I made this. I, you know, I always sign my works. Yeah. I mean, look at the bottom of our feet. Yeah, that's where the signature is. So um, then he thought about it, and he was like, maybe these aren't fossils. Because <laughs> the kids were like rolling their eyes at him. <laughs> He's like, you know what? I think these were carved by prehistoric pagans. That's got to be it. Oh, druids, most yeah. likely. Well, then yeah. he's like, but here's the problem. How did they know God's name hmm. if they carved that on there? The whole mystery. Not really Just one mystery. of the mysteries of God. And then people were like, um, actually, uh, I see. So he gives up on the on the pagans. He's like, they're fossils. I go back to them being fossils. It's got God's name on them. Hmm. So people are like, well, you know, when you actually, when you look at it, there are chisel marks on the side. Uh, that's not God's handiwork. Yeah. And he's like, well, 
you know, speak to the man himself. I don't know. You don't know. Let's ask him. So all of his theories, he collects all these theories. And, and this he, is an academic. Yes, a professor. Yeah. <laughs> okay. He has all these theories and he publishes them. Oh, poor man. And not long after the publication of the book, The Penny Drops, mm-hmm. he finally figures out, wait a second, these are fake. Now he put everything into writing this book. He published, oh man. So he figures out these aren't real and then he also figures out who made them. <laughs> his his nemeses at work. He sued two of them oh, well. and won. Yeah. And those guys lost their job at the college. Mm-hmm. They each lost their job. And one of them was even banished from the city. I mean, it's the 1700s. Yeah, that was, uh, so like, out, out yeah, with you. Out past those city walls. Yeah, and then he comes back Scoundrel. with like a, a wig on. Um, in the <laughs> it's co- not me! <laughs> in the court transcripts, the hoaxers uh, testified that they pulled this prank because, quote, he was so arrogant and despised us all. Oh, yeah. yeah it's so like the Drake's Plate thing. We'll come up and see yeah. exactly like Drake's Plate. So Berenger, he spent lots of time and money trying to chase down all the copies of his book to get them back. <laughs> He's like, we printed, I don't know, 300 of them. I got to find these 300 suckers who bought it. Oh. And But, you know, don't worry about it. It got a second printing in 1737. Oh, man. So, so it did well, It did well. And then it was translated into English in 1963. Oh, this poor dude. As for the stones... Some of them are currently on display at uh, the Oxford University Museum. Like like with a red sign pointing down. Look at this joke. <laughs> Do you think this is a fossil? And they're now known as Lugenstein. <laughs> I don't know if I'm saying that right. The lying stones. No, with, with that emphasis is definitely right. Oh, yeah, it's totally Maybe right. not in German, but it was somewhere, right. <laughs> somewhere. It's the lying stones. Lying stones. I like that. That's a solid hoax. No, that's a great that's a good one. one. Poor I feel Berenger. bad for dude, though. Even yeah. though he was kind of Poor a jerk, Berenger. apparently. Yeah. Uh, he had such a desire to find something of significance, even if he had to, like, stretch the boundaries of plausibility. Yeah. yeah. Um, and exploit child labor to get there. Exactly. Well, in 1866, there was another scientist doing his best to will his belief into evidence. 1866? 1866. Okay. So we're jumping forward, like, no, almost 150 gotcha. years or so. Um, there was a professor of geology at Harvard named Josiah Whitney. Hmm, that name sounds familiar. Yeah, he was also the state geologist of California. Uh-huh. And Mount Whitney, the highest peak ah. in the lower 48, is named after him. Okay, as I say. Yes. He was an expert. Did he have a book, uh, like a naturalist book? Oh, yeah, he totally yes, does. Okay. He, but he was an expert in economic geology. Mm-hmm. Um, so mines. Yeah. Uh, but he had his share of mishaps for all of his, you know, honors and whatnot. Um, he got into it with John Muir. Hmm. About the origins of Yosemite. It's kind of one of those, let them fight. Exactly. So Whitney said that the Yosemite Valley was created when there was a cataclysmic sinking of the valley floor. That was oh, Whitney's theory. Not, no. not glaciers, Muir that's everybody was, else. Yeah, Muir's like, no, my dude, that makes no sense. It was glacial yeah, action. Look Duh. at the rocks. Like... Smacked him on the side of the head. <laughs> Duh. Uh, Whitney then called him a, quote, ignoramus. Ooh. And a, quote, mere sheep herder. Did he call him a pumpkin head? <laughs> Whitney was, well, you know what? Whitney, you're not the one who wound up on the back of the California quarter. Boom. Boom roasted. Yeah. Uh, in 1866, <laughs> um, he was, uh, Whitney, was all about proving that humans, mastodons, and mammoths all existed at the same time on this planet. Oh, they definitely partied together. Well, we know now that it's sort of true. <laughs> like 12,000 12, yes. years ago in yes. the Pleistocene era. Uh-huh. Um, Whitney was pretty sure it was the Pliocene era, like three million years ago. Yeah, no. Yeah, big no on that one. <laughs> no. So there he is. He's like swanning around the California gold country, just east coasting it up. The grizzled minor 49ers, the prospectors, mm-hmm. they did not like him. Which, hold on, 
they're also newcomers. Like, who are they to whatever? No, yeah. Don't get um, me started. So anyway, these these miners, um, they wanted to play a joke on Whitney and kind of like take him down a notch. So they came into town from the gold fields saying that they'd found a skull, a really, really old one. Mm-hmm. Where'd you find it? 130 feet down under the earth. They, we found it under lava. Now, I'm going to guess that's like the cold kind. I think lava. they mean like basalt rock and yeah, stuff. But, yeah, but, you know, they said lava. They, they don't really know. Um, so Whitney, stoked. He's like so excited. He comes running. It's got to be ancient. He looks at it. it. Look, this has to be millions of years old. Of course. Uh, he tells everyone his theory has been proven. Look, mm-hmm. I have the skull to prove it. Um, this was a skull of a human who walked with mastodons. Hmm. Three years later, a minister told the San Francisco Evening Bulletin that the skull had been planted as a hoax, that a local shopkeeper had put it there on a lark. Whitney didn't budge. A guy at Harvard ran fluorine analysis on it. They didn't have carbon dating yet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he said that the test revealed that the skull was recent. Whitney stayed the course. So he's got science telling him it's recent. No. And he's a scientist. He's a scientist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just so checking. He, he, con- he convinces another Harvard geology professor, Frederick Ward Putnam, that he was right. Mm-hmm. Putnam's like, okay, I believe you. That sounds good. I'll sure, do whatever you say. You yeah. got a mountain named after you. <laughs> uh, he, but he wants to know more. Uh-huh. He's, he's hungry. He's there for yeah. information. So he heads, Let me out, touch the skull. <laughs> he heads out to California to do some investigations. Mm-hmm. Um, he was told out there that the miners had desecrated an indigenous burial site likely while prospecting, oh, yeah. and planted the bones and skulls, uh, like for skips and giggles, we'll say. Okay. Um, Putnam didn't believe that. But here's the thing. Everyone should always believe the horrible behavior of gold rush miners. Yeah, I'll always bet They're on that. Hor- they were horrible people. They're generally in the practice of exploiting, and so you can pretty yeah. much just extend Ruthless. from there. They're probably going to exploit Ruthless. other things. Exactly. So it wasn't until the early 1900s that the skull was officially deemed a hoax. Okay. So all that time. And I should note that there are still creationists who believe it's real. Okay. And they're going to send me angry emails, too. I understand. Um, but I don't want to get into it. Anyway, um, so there's my entrance into this story that I have for you today. This isn't it. That was just the, the I beginning. I love a gold rush skull, it's though. It's the foyer of this mansion of ridiculous excavation, if you Nice will. foyer. Yeah, yeah. The gilded frames are a uh-huh, nice touch. Uh-huh. I want to tell you about George Hull. George Hall, do not know this one. Is that okay with you? Yeah, I got time. Do you feel comfortable in this space? Yeah, if you'll give me like a, like a hug later. Okay, maybe. Yeah. George Hall, he was a tobacconist. He made cigars. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a smoke slanger <laughs> in the terms of the day. Uh, he lived in Binghamton, New York. Okay. And that was like almost 150 years after old Professor Berenger was digging up phony relics all mm-hmm. over Germany. Um, Hull was an atheist. So an atheist leaf pusher. Yes. And he was big into science, especially the theory of evolution and Charles Darwin. Okay. Big Darwin head. Big Big turtle head. In 1868, Hull was visiting his sister in Ackley, Iowa. And while he was there, the two of them went to a Methodist revival meeting. That was fun for him. That's good. During the sermon, Hull heard Reverend H.B. Turk quote Genesis 6-4. And this is, I will read it to you. Okay, I was going to do the quote, but you do it. It's fine. Go ahead. <laughs> the Nephilim were in the earth in those days. And after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bore children to them, the same were the mighty men that were of old, the men of renown. What are the Nephilim? Well, the, like the angels, but they're no, the, the ones on earth. Loosely translated, they're giants. 
Yeah, but they're related they're the, to the yeah, angels. Yeah, well, they're the son of fallen angels. So in the Jerusalem Bible, what we read in Catholic school, it uses the word Nephilim. Mm-hmm. In the King James Version, which is what Hull would have heard quoted, they use the word giants. Hmm. So it okay. just straight up says giants. Yeah, because they're like the opposite of the cherubim. Right. Hull's sister kind of like stepped in it by bringing him to this revival. Okay. Because when the sermon ended, Hull went to the pastor and started to debate him about the literal accuracy of the Bible. <laughs> Good luck, bro. Yeah. He did not win this argument because no. the rest of the congregation joined in and shouted him down. Mm-hmm. Like, Hull, dude. Let these people enjoy their faith. Like, Read the room, bro. Who cares? Yeah. yeah who cares? Literally in their church. Who cares? But he was changed that day. He was uh-huh. on a mission. Okay. Um, he had to prove these people wrong, embarrass them. Yeah. Uh, Rub and maybe, their face in it. And maybe make a little money on the side. Yeah, well, you why know? not? It's America. It, it, he lost. He was outnumbered by these meeting attendants, but he wasn't going to let it get him down. He decided, you know what? I'm making a giant. Wait, what? <laughs> That's his answer? I'm making a big petrified giant. Okay. I'm making a big old fake, and I'm going to sell tickets. I'm to selling see tickets it. to see my long daddy. That'll show him. Yeah, I Total like long it. Daddy. Okay. He Is need- P.T. Barnum involved in this decision making? Hold on to your underpants. Oh yeah. He needed help. Of course. Uh-huh. So he talked to a friend of his in Marshalltown, Iowa. Okay. This is a guy named H.B. Martin. Hmm. So the two of them. Great nickname. I know, H.B. I like H.B. That. It, what do you? It's like Horace. Well, Bo- booty face. I have a family member. His nickname, uh, his name was Aura, O R A, and uh-huh. his middle of the name I don't know. It was T. Uh, I don't know what the name was, but we always call him Aura T. Okay. I just think that's so great. We have those little short names yeah, like that. H-B- so HB is even better because he's down to two sounds. Exactly. So HB Martin, um, the, the, he, these two guys, Hull and Martin, they get together. They go to Fort Dodge, Iowa, mm-hmm. and they checked in at the St. Charles Hotel. Okay. So this is what a resident wrote into the Dubuque Times. Quote. For a number of weeks after their arrival here, their movements seemed to be of a very suspicious character. They would wander about town, apparently with no definite object in view. Hmm. Lady, that's called tourism. So they wrote into the paper, I'm a busybody, and here's what I noticed. <laughs> I saw these two men walking There's around. new people in town. Yeah. <laughs> they actually did have a definite object in view. Uh-huh. When we come back from this break, I'll tell you what it was. I hope it's a giant. rant for a sec please pay apps are way too public what happened some rando hearted a payment from five months ago and i realized people can see my entire history who i'm paying like full names it's super weird yeah it's weird how are you paying your friends then apple cash it's all in messages you can literally send cash like a text and it stays between friends random people can't see it did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. As you know, the world can be a dangerous and unpredictable place. With every crime I've studied, I've learned one thing. Your best line of defense is your vigilance and preparation. You don't want to worry. You just want peace of mind. That's why I recommend Simply Safe Home Security. For every ridiculous robbery and theft we talk about, it's pretty obvious the crimes could be avoided with a solid security system. A good home security system keeps people prepared and aware. Simply Safe is that system. It was named Best Home Security Systems 2024 by U.S. News and World Report. And it doesn't just protect your home from crime, it also alerts you to fire, floods, and other emergencies. They offer sensors and cameras backed by 24-7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. There are no contracts, and there's a 60-day money-back guarantee. 
Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com/ridiculouscrime. That's simplysafe.com/ridiculouscrime. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Hey girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season 1, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, Skippy. What up? When we left off, yes. George Hull and his pal H.B. Martin with the cool name, mm-hmm. they were cruising around Fort Dodge looking for action. Yes, that's right. What kind of action? You'll see. So they found out about this guy named C.B. Cummins. I'm telling you Another names. great name, C.B. Cummins. He owned a gypsum quarry. Okay. And the pair tried to um, get a contract with Cummins to cut out a block of gypsum that would be 12 feet long by three and a half feet wide and two feet thick. All right. I'm so 12 by three by two. Starting to put together what they're building? Cummins said no. Ooh. Yeah. Why would he not he, sell gypsum? Because he asked them a bunch of questions about why they wanted such a big piece of gypsum, and they he never got the same story twice from them. They couldn't just say the words, I'm a sculptor? Here's some money? Yeah. I'm a sculptor. Do you take cash? Yeah, no. So one time they told him that they were going to, quote, exhibit in New York as a specimen of the products of Fort Dodge and vicinity. What the heck's wrong with these guys? Like, we want to show Fort Dodge's finest gypsum all right, at nerds. a museum. Like, like, all right, look here. <laughs> And like they're suddenly they're like real Fort Dodge boosters. Like, exactly. all right, you just got here. I don't sell to them Fort Dodge nerds. <laughs> then they said they wanted to quote send it to Washington as Iowa's contribution to the Lincoln Monument. Wait, what? As if they're taking like send us send yeah, us send in some rocks. It's a potluck. Yeah, it's a, you know we, we it's a rock luck. We put this every fifty all the states. I don't know how many at the time did of, they? Of the what memorial. if they, I don't know twelve? What did they? <laughs> so Cummins he figures okay these guys are up to no good. Yeah, they're this they want this for nefarious. Totally. And then he said I'm not going to do business with them at any price. Wow, he's they must a have principal really run gypsum. Foul of him. Yeah. Peddler. Yeah. Not like those guys you normally find sling, <laughs> slinging gypsum <laughs> at anybody with gypsum some nickels in their pockets. <laughs> so just little bags of gypsum on the side <laughs> exactly. of it. Exactly. Hull and Martin. Two for five. I got two for five. <laughs> Sorry. Luce, Lucy's of <laughs> gypsum. Got pieces. them rocks. I got them rocks. I, I should stop. Yeah. So this, okay, they try again. Uh-huh. Hull and Martin, they're not going to be deterred. This is gypsum country after all. There's not, you know, Cummins isn't the only game in town. Okay. So they hooked up with Michael Foley. Mm-hmm. And he got them a five-ton block 
that they needed from old Gypsum Hollow. Nice. Yeah. Did he carve it himself? Uh, he just sliced it out. I mean, is he a Gypsum guy? Or sure. He's the one I don't a... know. Maybe he stole it. Who knows? Okay. Uh, Hall had the block shipped to a German stonecutter in Chicago named Edward Burghardt. Nice. Ships it off. Burghardt agreed to keep mum on the whole scam if they cut him in on the profit. Oh. So he's like, I know you're doing something crazy with this. Fine, but cut me in. Okay, see my dry beak? Wet it a little. They had <laughs> Exactly. They had a deal. So Burghardt, he hired two sculptors to assist with the project. Um, and then he Hull himself posed for the statue. Oh. And he made sure that they gave him a big dong. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Why are men such like, men? It's a pretty healthy-sized member on this thing. <laughs> he's got a hog? Well, yeah, I'd say. Oh, well, you know. Um, and it's kind it of— It would look good in sweats. In gray the, sweats, you're the, saying this is a winner? <laughs> and the figure is is standing there like it has to go to the bathroom. He's what like, is kinda, that? Kinda, I only think of kids doing well, no, that. no, he's like kind of slightly bent over with his legs crossed. Oh, and then okay. one hand is covering his lower torso, but like with his ding ding hanging out. And on the, the other hand, like to bring being, attention to it, like look down here. <laughs> like just yeah. <laughs> What's beneath oh, my I'm hand? I'm trying to hold it with hide it with my hand, but there's <laughs> but not enough hand. I don't have enough. Yeah. <laughs> and then the other hand's behind his back, like presumably to stop the turtle head. Oh. <laughs> I was thinking of like a thoughtful pose. Like no. I'm out for a stroll. All, my it, morning constitutional. He looks like he's trying not to go to the I bathroom. Do. Burghardt, I, at both ends, apparently. Yeah, Burghardt put stains and acids on the giant sculpture to give it like that weathered, shabby yeah, the patina, sheet look. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Then he and his underlings they made pores on the surface of it by beating it with steel knitting needles that had been embedded into a board. Oh, that's cool! Isn't that smart? I like that. Uh, when it was done, the statue of the giant, the enormous George Hull, naked, stood ten feet tall and weighed almost three thousand pounds. Damn. Yeah, damn. At this point, um, Hull had spent $2,600 on the hoax, and that's more than $55,000 in today's money. Oh, wow. On a hoax. To prove the, the, the pastor wrong. Yeah. For skips and giggles, because he had a bad moment in a church, and some people shouted him down. Yeah. He's like, I got 55 grand on that. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. And also, give it a big hog. <laughs> I think that was the real purpose of it. In November of 1868, Hull transported the giant in an iron-sealed box via train uh-huh. to his cousin's house. Okay. And the cousin, William Stubb Newell. Where are these names coming amazing? from? Amazing. He owned a farm in Cardiff, New York. Okay. And he was sworn to secrecy. Hull buried the giant near Newell's barn and wedged it under the under some roots so it looked like it had been there for, like, centuries, nay, millennia. Hmm. Uh, Hull then went back to Binghamton, back to his tobacco shop, back to the grind, and he waited. Now, how are you moving this multiple-ton slab of rock by yourself and then— Easing it into the earth and reburying it without having anybody else involved. He's got to be hiring crews. He's got to be hiring someone, yeah. right? So now other people are supposed to be mum. Right. I'm just watching these concentric circles uh-huh. grow. But so, go on. While he supplied the locals with like mouth, throat, and lung cancer, mm-hmm. he patiently <laughs> plotted his next move. Okay. And a year after taking his giant to his cousin's house, he was ready to act. Mm-hmm. He wrote a letter to Newell, to old uh, Stubb, and um, said it was time to dig up the giant. Oh. Zarin, close your eyes. Oh, yeah. My eyes are closed. I want you to picture it. It's October 16th, 1869. It's a crisp autumn day in Cardiff, New York. Okay, I'm in New York. Thank God. Birds sing as a light breeze blows through the trees, sprinkling dried leaves gently onto the earth. Your name is Gideon Emmons, and you've been hired to dig a well. (laughs) 
You're a day laborer. I prefer ditch digger, Elizabeth. You're but a fine. ditch digger. Uh, I was trying to give you some dignity. You and your pal Henry Nichols, you were hired by Stub Newell. Mm-hmm. Uh, you follow Farmer Newell through a stand of trees as you head towards his barn. Uh, fall leaves crunch beneath your feet. You look around his property and you think you see the perfect place for a well. No, Newell says. Over there, right by the barn. <laughs> Uh, You approach the barn, and Newell opens it up to get you some tools. An old barn cat comes screeching out and sprints by you. You're handed your tools and get to work. After about three feet, your shovel strikes something. Eh, Probably just some old stone. You dig a little more, and you look into the hole. That's not rock. You brush some dirt away, and you reveal a giant stone foot. Whoa. What in the wild world of sports is this, Aaron? (laughs) You keep the agony digging. Of <laughs> you keep of duh feet. Sorry. You keep digging and clearing, and pretty soon you see that you've uncovered a large man. Wow. Uh, With a very enormous it made leg. Stone. Does this man look in any way realistic? No. Oh. No. But that doesn't stop your pal Henry from yelling, I declare some old Indian has been buried here. So he drinks the the moonshine whiskey early in the morning? Early, early in the morning. He starts early with the sun. (laughs) Now, how could this man possibly have had this as his first guess? Well, probably, maybe prompted. (laughs) I'm guessing. Um, No matter. You and Henry um, and the farmer all agree that this just has to be a petrified giant. Of course. That's the only answer. And I'm now a credible witness, Like, from from the olden times. Yeah, I mean, this is probably really old. Yeah. Newell, Stubb, he got to work spreading the word of the wonder discovered right on his property. This is what it said in the Syracuse Journal. Quote, men left their work. Women caught up their babies and children in numbers all hurried to the scene where the interest of that little community centered. Hmm. So, like, it's just, you know, magnets. Yeah, They're it's all Orson Welles' War of the Worlds, but for one object. <laughs> for one object. Cardiff was known for its fossil deposits. Oh, really? Yeah, apparently. Everyone in the area, every gawker, every amateur expert was sure it was the body of an ancient man who had been petrified by a nearby swamp. Huh. And initial examinations confirmed this theory. Some later determined that the giant wasn't a petrified man, but a statue, because it doesn't look like an actual human being. But also, it's like you know, it's it's it's. From what I understand, when the body turns to rock, when the organic material turns mm-hmm. to rock, it shrinks a lot. So you're going to have weird structure. Did they make it like round legs? I will show you a picture. Okay, I will show you a picture. That'd be the thing that would throw me off. It was like well formed. Oh no, feet. it looks like fleshy. Yeah, I'm yeah. like, come on now. Um, so this was not a petrified man. No, this they said. Okay, maybe it's a statue, and it was not one created and buried by a disgruntled atheist. No, no, of course not. It was ancient from yes. olden times. Um, they started thinking, well, maybe it was carved by French Jesuits hundreds of years ago, like as a way to really wow the indigenous people of the region. Ah. Give them the old razzle-dazzle. Okay, not like a, a road marker or anything. It's just a little razzle-dazzle right. from, the, from the priest. Stub, Stub yeah. Newell, he was firmly in the man camp. <laughs> he was positive to all outsiders that it was a petrified giant. I know it's a petrified giant when I see one. That right there is a man. Yeah, right. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to rebury it. Wait. No, <laughs> shout the neighbors. No, don't do it. It has historical value. Well, you know, I guess you're right. I mean, I can't keep him from the world. It's too important. Yeah, I mean, why, who am I to deny? Stubb says, I'm going to do the gracious and selfless thing. And he goes out and pitches a white tent over it and starts charging 25 cents admission. <laughs> Such a generous and move. And then two days later, he raised the price to 50 cents because so many people are showing The demand. What can you do? It's the market, Elizabeth. You pay that money, you get 15 minutes worth of time to spend with the giant. Alone? <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
I'm just wondering if it's like, you it's know like when Shia like LaBeouf in... had the bag on his head and you could go in and be with him yeah. like in the closet or whatever for yeah. like seven, seven or however many minutes you wanted? Right. No, I think this is like groups of 15. They oh, like okay. shuffle them in so and everyone gawks at it. So style. Yeah, like... total sideshow okay. stuff. So the Cardiff Giant is what it became known as. Um, had 2,500 visitors hmm. in the first week. So if we figure that averages out to about 358 visitors a day. Okay. And the first two days were at 25 cents, but the other five days were at 50 cents. <laughs> I am back in sixth grade trying to do some math. I'm over here with the calculator. <laughs> and so then that meant that over that week, he made $1,074. And yep, correct numbers. And that's like $24,000 today. Okay, wow. In a week. That's that's good. Yeah. So hotels and restaurants, they had more business over that those few days oh, they're loving than they'd this. ever had since opening. Oh, it's amazing. Oh, totally. Offers were made to buy the giant. Yeah. Newell declined. So like you got a whole little Florida economy going now. Oh, totally. <laughs> so then Hall comes to town, the atheist. Mm-hmm. Um, and like the conspirators had worked out an agreement. They were gonna sell the giant. But to, it like had Harvard to be or something? well, in particular, to a syndicate of businessmen that mm-hmm. included former mayor Dr. Amos Westcott. Okay, and then, but it was headed up by a man named David Hannum, hmm. and they offered thirty thousand dollars for a three-fourth stake. I can tell that these men are not as good because their names are not as interesting. Yes. So I bet they're, you know. They're subpar. Uh-huh. Um, that, but that, that's like $670,000 today. God dang. And they, the men took the deal. They're like, yeah. Of course. Yeah. Experts came to examine the piece. All right. Geologist James Hall of New York State and Professor Henry Wardoff of Rochester University were positive. It's an ancient statue. Hmm. It's not a man. It's a statue. Well, of course. Yeah. Hall said it was, quote, the most remarkable object yet brought to light in our country. Wow. So this leading academic in his field, and he's coming out there and he goes, this came out of the earth? Probably old as Atlantis. Ancient statue. Okay. The first president of Cornell University, Andrew D. White, said, quote, being asked my opinion, my answer was that the whole matter was undoubtedly a hoax. Hmm that there was no reason why the farmer should dig a well in the spot where the figure was Thank found. Thank you. Mm-hmm. That it was convenient neither to the house nor the barn. Exactly. That there was already a good spring and a stream of water running conveniently to both. Uh, that as to the figure itself, it certainly could not have been carved by any prehistoric race since no part of it showed the characteristics of any such early work. That, rude as it was, is betrayed. Uh, it betrayed the qualities of a modern performance of a low order. Thank you, President Colombo. <laughs> Boom, is. nailed it. I he, even like the little diss at the end. Right? He was, however, surprised by the grooves uh, on the bottom part of the giant. He felt that they should have taken years to occur. Yeah, with water and stuff, you're going to get... Yeah. He later published an article for the century called The Cardiff Giant, The True Story of a Remarkable Deception. <laughs> so he was good. Locals, they start remembering things. Remember um, when that George Hull guy came into town with that enormous box? <laughs> that slab of... Like, it weighed a few tons, if I remember correctly. Yeah, remember we got all the... Everybody strong in remember, town remember to help him? it was, him? like, about 10 feet long. Yeah. And then he had it hauled to his cousin's place, I think, the yeah, Newell Farm, right where... Over, where was, say... Wait a minute. Something's fishy here. Journalists showed up, you know. Mm-hmm. Not the puff piece variety, muckrakers. Nice. Muckrakers. My people. And they dug up some wonders of their own. They found out that a large sum of money was transferred from Newell to Hull after the giant was sold. How did they find that back then? Mm-hmm. Uh, you got to talk to like They're a like, banker, right? Yeah, they got, they got yeah. a, a. Or like a, somebody in the bank records, the, the clerk. Yeah. I like it. More questions arose when the Cardiff giant was put on exhibition to thousands in Albany and Syracuse. 
a mining engineer, mentioned that gypsum would have deteriorated in the soggy environment it was found in if it had been there for such a long time. Mm -hmm. Hands in his pockets, his shoulders shrugged. Just saying. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Can I also say, I hate when people say just saying. Well, you know, I I get that, but uh, I'm just saying. saying. (laughs) So who else should arrive on the scene? Othniel Charles Marsh. You know him, right? Oh, yeah. From the meetings? Yeah. Yeah. He was the famous Yale paleontologist, and he came to check out the Cardiff giant. In a delightfully Yale Ivy League Tweety fashion, he gave the giant a passing glance and said, quote, a very recent origin and most decided humbug. Wow. Listen to old bones and stones over here. (laughs) So more and more evidence is coming out. (laughs) These disses are great. Oh, it's wonderful. And they're just the high level, like highfalutin disses. This is just pure blather sky. More more people are bringing forth evidence that it's fake. Mm -hmm. When we come back from this break, I'll let you know who didn't care if it was fake or real. Ah, nice. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, A military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. 
if you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hot off the ads, Aaron. Just ripping right hot off them. Those are some deliciously steaming, fresh hot ads. I feel refreshed by them. Yeah. Commerce soothes me. Well, you know, it reaches in there. It does. I was saying that a lot of people were saying, very good people, <laughs> coming with tears in their eyes, saying that the Cardiff giant was fake. No. That bit never gets old. No, you love me. that. I yeah, do you love, love that, that bit. A lot it's of getting known more and more every day. <laughs> Um, you know who didn't care if it was fake? Hmm. P.T. Barnum. Yeah, I knew my man would get in he here. He just caught a whiff of it in the air. Totally. And was like He's floating like, around nose first. I smell profits. All he saw were dollar and signs. Suckers. <laughs> he he wanted in on this moneymaker. So he offered to purchase it himself, purchase it him, enunciating <laughs> all of a sudden, for $50,000 okay. on a three-month lease. I like it. Smart. He's like, this ain't going to last long. Yeah, and let's just float let's this out there. Let's make money while this fad's hot. And so he made this day just one day after Marsh called it humbug. Well, he he's care. like, what do I care? Yeah, he's like, did the suckers read your papers? They refused his offer. What? So what did he do? He hired a sculptor to create a replica. <laughs> I can do you one better. He secretly made a mold of the original with wax, which how? How, how do you? I snuck in at night, I suppose. PT. And then had a copy carved from plaster. He literally made his own, like, like oh, you want one? I got to do the exact same these. one. Yours is fake. Mine's faker. Yeah, my, my grooves are deeper. So he puts it on display in Manhattan saying it was the original and that the one out in Cardiff is fake. <laughs> yeah, prove it. Prove, prove it. me wrong. So the story comes out. Um, Hannum, who's now the current owner, said of the fake to newspapers, quote, there's a sucker born every minute. Wait. Yes. Barnum not only stole the giant, he stole that quote. So... That it's quote is like misattributed. It was a diss basically of him. Of him. And then he turned around and is like, I'm going to make that the most famous well, yeah, thing about well, me. Well, no, it was a diss of the people who are believing that, yeah. like, yeah. And so it was not P.T. Barnum. It's about him. That's yes. amazing. It's uh, always seemed weird that somebody like that would want to be known for that statement. You know what I mean? Like, think, you don't give up the game. That'd be like a wrestler's like, these suckers don't yeah, realize. Yeah, go that, against P.T. Barnum and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And he's gonna, just going to run right over you. Huh. Hannum tried to sue Barnum. Um, there was a problem. The judge said in order to get a favorable injunction, he would first have to get the giant to swear on its own authenticity. <laughs> he said, quote, bring your giant here. And if he swears to his own genuineness as a bona fide petrification, you shall have the injunction you ask for. Do you like how everyone in the 19th century got so much sass? Totally sassy. Sassy. Oof. Um, ads for Barnum's exhibit read, what is this? Is it a statue? Is it a petrification? <laughs> is it a stupendous fraud? Is it the remains of a former race? <laughs> give me what a, is this? Give me a nickel. I'll let you see it for yourself. <laughs> what is it? What is it? I don't know. I can't, uh, any I can't ad no answers. that starts off, what is it? No. Well, I don't know. I'll go see. It's an Elizabeth ad if I've ever heard <laughs> what one. What is it? Who knows? Who cares? Barnum's Giant outsold the original Cardiff Giant. Of course. Both were scheduled to be shown in New York City. Uh-oh. Having both giants in New York caused a lot of confusion, though. <laughs> I'm the, no, I'm the Cardiff. No, I'm, I'm Spartacus. The Cardiff giant itself, the original, 
the original fake, was forced to relocate to Boston. Is this he ran why, him out of town. Where we got the New York Giants as a name? It's like oh, when they had maybe. two Giants. So like, remember when we had our Giants? That was awesome. <laughs> Do you know who went to check out the OG one in Boston? Hmm. Who were these hipsters looking for an authentic experience? Okay, wait. What year are we in at this point? 1890s? Something. 18, late 1880s? Sure. I'm going to go with um, Robert Barrett Browning. Ralph Waldo Emerson. I was close. And Oliver Wendell Holmes. I was close. Real close. This is back when, like, thinkers had three names, yeah. not just serial uh-huh. killers. And, and, and killers of presidents. <laughs> Fun facts. I'm full of them. Yes. I'm you full of it. Lay them out there. What is it? What is it? What is this? What is it? The man Barnum hired to make the replica mm-hmm. decided to make even more copies. He's like, why not? I have the mold. Let's keep this going. And then he sold and them. And they're all 10 foot. They're down. all 10 foot dongers. And he sells them across the country, all over the place. By the end of the year, half a dozen Cardiff giants were on display across the U.S. <laughs> This is what they wrote in the Philadelphia Inquirer. People were so bored back oh, then. Totally. Like, you got a big rock? I got a nickel. Let's do this. <laughs> the, someone wrote in the Philadelphia Inquirer, quote, it is rather rich that we should be victimized by such fraud upon a fraud. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In 1870, mm-hmm. the fascination had worn off. And the Cardiff, okay, 1870. 1870. Okay. The Cardiff giant became the subject of ridicule. Mm-hmm. Now it wasn't cool anymore. Some still argued that it was a piece of antiquity. Okay. But at this point, like Hull himself was publicly bragging about pulling off the hoax. Like, he played the long game. So everyone th- thinks it is, then it's exposed as a fraud, and he's like, neener, neener, I told you so. There's hey, where, no such thing. Where's that church? Point no them sense, out. Exactly. He had his full confession printed in a newspaper on December 10th, 1860. All right, Unabomber, what's up? February 1870, the Chicago sculptors also had their confessions run in newspapers. Oh, dude, everyone with the manifesto in the papers. Yes. This is nuts. And at, uh, at the same time, Time in the, at the same month, excuse mm-hmm. me, both the Cardiff Giant and Barnum's replica were exposed in court as fakes. The judge <laughs> added, though, that Barnum could not be sued for terming a fake giant as fake. Yeah, so he's good go. on that one. The number of gawkers dwindled until finally the giant was put into storage in a barn in Massachusetts. <laughs> what about all the fake ones? <laughs> I don't know. Are they just still littered well, across the country? Probably. The giant passed from owner to owner for a time and then did a stint touring the carnival circuit. <laughs> And it was put it's on lost years. <laughs> totally. uh, it was put on display at the Pan American Exposition in 1901, oh, and then yeah. the Hawkeye Fair and Exhibition in 1923. Okay, um, it was then purchased by publisher Gardner Mike Cowles Jr. of Look Magazine and Quality Comics fame. Hmm. He placed the giant in his rumpus room as a coffee table and conversation piece. A ten foot tall or ten foot long. long yeah, yeah. Uh, and then he sold it That's in 1947. He sold it to the Farmers Museum in Cooperstown, New like York. Farmers Insurance? I don't know. Well, I don't know. They have a museum to farming. I, I don't know. Oh, I didn't look that part up. I, I didn't just, really I, yeah, care. That's just weird. At, that, farmers at this museum. point, I was like, whatever. Yeah, like, I'll take I'll, it at face no, value. No, I'll tell you what happened. At Could this be the point, farmers family. I don't know. I was just fixated on the rumpus room at yeah, this point. I'm I couldn't right there look with any you. further. I want to go back in time. I'm and still hang there out at the rumpus room. <laughs> in the story, that's where I am. <laughs> Barnum's replica is currently on display uh-huh. at Marvin's Marvelous Mechanical Museum. Oh my God! What a coin-op arcade and oddities museum in Farmington Hills, Michigan. See, this is what I should be doing with my life. This is my road. My next road trip. Um, there are also replicas on display. You were asking, where are they? Uh-huh. Some there's one at the Fort Museum okay. and um, Frontier Village. There's one in Texas somewhere in Fort Dodge, Iowa, or Oklahoma. Full circle. It went yeah. right back to Fort I, Dodge. Came home. Came home. Yeah, like football's it. coming home. <laughs> Hull issued a proclamation. Mm. A proclamation, Zarin. 
saying he wanted to make clear that he did not confess because of growing pressure to criticism. No, he just wanted to expose the truth in order to prove the gullibility of Christians. <laughs> he just wanted to diss He's on like, y'all. He's like, that's all I wanted. Look, I just wanted to dance around on y'all. And, and I wanted overall, even mm-hmm. though he spent all that money, he made about $20,000 on this scheme. Back then money. Back, no, yeah, back then. So that's like $450,000 yeah, today. That's, that's real, not bad. Real change. It, but it gave him the hunger. Oh, gave no. him the bloodless. Oh, no. He wanted to go all in on being a flimflam man. Oh, man. Couldn't help it. That, that's not a lifestyle. And he couldn't get out of, like, the, the genre. You can't just jump in, hop in, and hop out of that. He built a seven-foot giant statue in 1877 that he named the Solid Muldoon. Wait, he's a one-hit wonder? He's a one-hit wonder. Playing his classics? Yes. He became his own cover band. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Seven-foot statue. The I told you, solid... you can't do this. You, this is P.T. Barnum's got ideas on ideas. The Not like, solid... remember that one thing that worked? <laughs> the Solid Sorry, Muldoon. Mm-hmm. The Solid Muldoon. Yeah, Solid Muldoon. This one had a tail. Not Wait, a front tail, a, a tail. back tail. Oh. Yeah. Um, he did this to be, quote, strongly suggestive of the truth of the Darwinian theory. Ah, is this like a so, whole monkey man thing? Yeah. Well, yeah. He's trying to show evolution and yeah. I'm going to make my own fossil yeah, so to like, prove this. I added a tail to a human. <laughs> missing link. We came. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like the, the link between us and lizards. And, <laughs> you know, keep it. Keep your stuff to yourself, dude. Um, I don't know why it's so. Well, anyway. This is great, right. though. This one was made from mortar. Rock dust, clay, plaster, ground bones, blood, and meat. Wow. Yeah. They didn't have like, you know, and then like they, a pig's bladder? They fired it in a kiln for days and then buried it in Beulah, Colorado. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. It was named after the wrestler William Muldoon. Okay. He was known as the Solid Man. Oh, because he was just so easy. He's a big dude. Slab a man. Well, and they called him the Solid Man because it was a reference to a song by Edward Harrigan called Muldoon, the Solid Man. What? It's a it's a lovely tune. It's a, a traditional it a uh, Irish melody. Irish? Uh-huh. It's an Irish melody. Um, the lyrics are like pretty wry and comedic. It's about an Irish politician in New York who's outlived his competition. Huh. The Chieftains actually do a really good version okay. of it. Um, the the like big line in there and on the street, every friend I meet says, "There goes Muldoon. He's a solid man." Oh, I think I've heard that. Yeah, yeah. So three months. I don't know after... what I was picturing before you started doing the lyrics, but thank you. <laughs> Three months after burying the solid Muldoon, uh-huh. it was, quote unquote, discovered by William Conant. They never wait. No, three months. He, This guy's like, I was out digging for fossils <laughs> and I found a, a, a lizard man. Yeah, let living memory pass a little. <laughs> so like the Cardiff giant, it was dismissed that, no, this isn't a petrified man. This is actually a piece of ancient art. Okay. The Denver Daily Times was so convinced of that authenticity as an old piece of art, quote, there can be no question about the genuineness of this piece of statuary. Oh, I love that approach. There can be no question. Now I've got questions. (laughs) I didn't have them before, but now I do. So where did the solid Muldoon go? On the road. Of course. Visitors all over the country got to see it. Eventually, the hoax was exposed by the New York Times. All right. The reporter described the statue as having, quote, a knowing smile on his face as if enjoying the joke. <laughs> so the solid Muldoon disappeared from the public eye right after that. Mm-hmm. However, nearly a century later in 1976, an art student recreated the piece using an iron beam, plaster, and molded stucco wire in celebration of Colorado's centennial. Wow. Wow. Okay. Um, After a brief road tour, it was put on display at El Pueblo History Museum before being buried between Pueblo and Beulah in a marked plot near Highway 78 in 1984. Like, this is a hoax. They Do not open. That's like, okay, so now there's another stop on my road trip. Yeah, I like that. Is to see the marker. 
Hall didn't invent the petrification hoax, though. Uh, the newspaper Alta California ran a petrification spoof in 1858. It was presented as a letter from a bogus German scholar, Friedrich Lichtenberger, <laughs> MD. Uh, the letter explains that a prospector named Ernest Fluchterspiegel, <laughs> Fluchterspiegel, yeah, Fluchterspiegel, drank a half pint of fluid um, that he found inside a geode. You crack open a geode, it's got fluid in it. Well, you know, you know like, I'm we'll drinking that. Yeah, oh, that's good. I'll sip it, see it. Ooh, I love this earth juice. <laughs> like, uh, no way. Anyway, uh, and he went back to camp. He said he had pains in his, quote, epigastric and left hypochondriac regions. <laughs> <laughs> I get I get that all the time. You do. I totally do. And then soon <laughs> Both after... Both your left and your right hypochondriac regions. <laughs> exactly. Just flaring up all the time. Soon after that, they said he died. That happens to me that all the time, yeah, too. Yeah, because you have that happen Oh, my God, it mean, happens so often. I wonder if he's okay. But Fluchterspiegel wasn't just dead. Uh-huh. He'd turned to stone. Oh, no. And the other <laughs> miners, they gathered around and hacked away at the corpse with an axe, like a field dissection. Wait, what? <laughs> uh, Dr. Lichtenberger was there, according to the paper. Sure. He said he found the heart, quote, strongly resembled a piece of red jasper. Yikes. And like people bought this as a real story for well, a long time. you know. But if you sip on the geo juice, well, you just wait a little while, and the way our education system is going, people will believe this again soon. <laughs> totally. So don't oh worry, you'll God. know what exactly what it's like. Oh God, you're sorry, right. is that too much for you? It too was much too realness? much. It was. <laughs> <laughs> I suffer from realness. Um, Hull, the father of the solid Muldoon and the Cardiff Giant, he passed away in 1902. Mm. The Cardiff Giant inspired a Mark Twain story and also found its way into a Nancy Drew book. Uh-oh. Book 49, Boom. The Secret of Mirror Bay. What's your ridiculous takeaway? Oh, man. The fact that these people believed, the initial people believed that a rock statue underground was an actual person and they yeah. could be petrified like in perfect, like like it was Lot's wife and he just got turned into a pillar of salt and then fell into the earth. Yeah. That's what I like how yeah. they picture this stuff. But I mean, like I say, it, it, once you can believe some things, you can believe almost anything. And there are some things that predated their belief that yeah. that person was a real person. Oh, so yeah. I get it. I totally get it. <laughs> and I'm loving P.T. Barnum for just cruising this wave of credulity and being like, I'll tell <laughs> I'll give them whatever they want. I don't care. I'm not telling them what anything is. I'm just saying you want to see it. Let me show you a picture of the Cardiff giant All while right. we're here. <laughs> he totally looks like he's like, are you looking at my hog? Right, uh-huh. but look. I mean, yes, I'm just, I'm the so pose. embarrassed. But yet, look at it. I'm right? so embarrassed, but look at it. That's amazing. <laughs> I'm just going to keep pushing it into your face. Oh, yeah, like no, the... it is. It's like you're, wow. Yeah, wow. That's not going to leave and my mental theater And you can see that it looks like he's really soon. fleshy. I mean, you can oh, see yeah. his ribs. You can see that like... he's supposed to be like a hungry man with a very uh, well-pronounced bottom half. Yeah, well, like, listen, no, his, his but it thighs, doesn't look like an actual also, person. He has good thighs and legs, too. I'm saying like, that's yeah. somebody who's like, wow, he runs or yeah, whatever, exactly. you know? <laughs> he doesn't he miss must leg work day. Out. Yeah, exactly. Uh, this man has never missed leg day a day in his 100% life. This going For on all three Instagram. of his legs. <laughs> it's going on Instagram. Good. We'll share uh, that one. That's the... all I have. That was fun. Uh, you can find us online at RidiculousCrime.com. Uh, we have T-shirts and other stuff if you're into that sort of thing. It's always limited time only limited availability so get it while it's there uh we also are at ridiculous crime on both twitter and instagram email us ridiculous crime at gmail.com leave a talk back on the iheart app reach out honey stay hydrated rude dudes
Ridiculous Crime is hosted by Elizabeth Dutton and Zaren Burnett. Produced and edited by Dave Kustin. He's a solid man. Research is by Marissa, I think it's an alien, Brown. And Andrea, Zaren said it's a ghost, song Charpentier. <laughs> the theme song is by well-digging outlaws Thomas Lee and Travis Dutton. Executive producers are Rumpus Room decorator Ben Bolin and petrified giant wholesaler Noel Brown. Ridiculous Crime. Say it one more time. Ridiculous Crime. Ridiculous Crime is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on WASP, the worldwide association of specialty programs and schools. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. It was trying to brand us. We were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. Join my host as they unravel the story of the largest and most shocking organization in the history of the troubled teen industry. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side.